0: I invite you to turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 52 through 66. Lamentations 3, 52 through 66. And today we are finally going to complete this powerful chapter of Scripture. We've been moving through Lamentations chapter 3 really at a snail's pace and trying to extract really as much truth as we can from it. And as we've been going through this chapter written by the prophet for God's people, the prophet has been walking us through how we can faithfully respond to suffering in our own life. And that's significant instruction because we're either all in the midst of suffering or about to go through suffering. That's just the way life works. And so, Either this chapter has been sustaining you through whatever trial, whatever suffering the Lord has you in right now, or this chapter has been training you and preparing you for whatever trial will come next. But either way, it's been shepherding our hearts towards holiness and Christ-likeness in the midst of our own suffering. In this chapter, the prophet has allowed us to learn from how he shepherded his own heart through suffering, In the first part of the chapter, we see that the great heart struggles that the prophet went through as as a righteous man who warned the people, if you continue to sin, God's going to punish us. And then when that punishment came, the prophet, even though he had been righteous in that area, he wasn't immune from the suffering that came with it. And so he had to battle doubt in his own heart, which, by the way, is the most dangerous threat to us in the midst of our suffering. It's not our circumstances, it's our doubt. He had to battle that doubt and shepherd his own heart back to faith in the goodness and loving kindness of God. And he allowed readers to watch him as he shepherded his own heart. And then as he transitioned from there into the second half of the book uh, chapter, he began to instruct us on what the keys will be for us in suffering. Keys like the need for God's grace. Keys, of course, like the need for God's truth. The need for faith. The need to grow in our faithfulness. All of these are areas where the prophet has shepherded us with truths that we need to rely on in the midst of our own suffering. And as we close out this chapter this morning, the prophet is going to leave us with one final aspect of faithful suffering that we need to consider, and it's prayer. The prophet closes out this chapter with an exemplary prayer to guide us towards our own prayer. So that in the midst of our suffering, we will be a people who runs to the Lord in prayer. Look at these verses with me and notice how the prophet is giving an example of how we can pray in suffering. Begin reading in verse 52 of Jeremiah chapter 3. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold their sitting and their rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord. According to the work of their hands, you will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. As we come to this passage, it is important for us to understand that prayer is an indispensable means of grace if you want to suffer faithfully. If you were to remain faithful to the Lord in the midst of your suffering, and, and even you want to grow in your Christ-likeness and faithfulness through your suffering, you need to suffer in prayer. Prayer is absolutely crucial for us in the midst of our suffering. Prayer allows us the opportunity to deepen our relationship with the Lord even in the midst of suffering. How many times do you end up in a situation where where the only thing that you have left to do is go to the Lord in prayer? And it's in those times that you experience the sweetest prayer ever. Prayer also forces us to depend upon the provision of the Lord. So many times we get in a bind and we just then take it on ourselves to fix that situation and move on with life. But there are times to remind us of our own dependence upon him when the Lord removes all recourse from us. Normally, i just take care of it, but now I can't. What, what, what can I do in this moment? I can do nothing except fall on my knees and pray to the Lord, and what does that do? It reminds me of my constant dependence upon Him. I know you don't know much about this, but I'm a prideful man. And so often, I'm tempted to think that I've got this world by the tail, I'm in control of things, if I just do this, then this will happen. And the Lord often does things to remind me of how little in this life that I can actually control. He humbles me. He humbles you. And oftentimes, prayer is vital in that. There's nothing I can do but call out to the Lord. Prayer also drives us to discernment from the wisdom of the Lord. This is part of what James 1 is talking about. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of the Lord who gives generously to all. What's the wisdom in James 1? It's wisdom to deal with trials. James has just got done talking about how you should consider trials an an occasion for joy. Why? Because through the trials, the Lord is developing a steadfast faith in you that will result in perfect maturity, sanctification. And if any of you lacks the wisdom to see how God is doing that in your life, you should pray and ask God for wisdom because He gives generously. That's what prayer does in the midst of our suffering. It forces us to consider our circumstances in light of God's truth and before God's throne of grace. How many times do we go before the Lord in the midst of our suffering just pleading for clarity? What is going on, Lord? Give me clarity. Lord, if you won't reveal to me why this is happening, then at least give me clarity on what I should do now. Prayer forces us to look for wisdom that goes beyond our own wisdom. In all these ways, prayer is absolutely crucial for us in the midst of our suffering. And that's what we see in this passage. In fact, the theme of this passage is the necessity and the efficacy of prayer as a means of grace in the midst of our suffering. In other words, the the theme of this section of Scripture is that we need prayer in the midst of our suffering and prayer is effective in the midst of our suffering. Here, the, the prayer that is offered by the prophet here, it represents the kind of prayer that the Judeans should have been praying after the fall of Jerusalem. They'd sinned, they'd rebelled against the Lord. The Lord disciplined them through the Babylonians. The Babylonians laid siege to the city. Eventually they knocked the whole city down and now the people were suffering in exile and captivity and this represents the kind of prayerful attitude they should have had in the midst of their suffering. And what's interesting, we'll get into this as we walk through this prayer, but as we walk through this prayer, the, the prophet He's not describing his exact circumstances, but he's definitely drawing from his own experiences to show how effective prayer was in his own life. And as he does this, the prophet here describes two qualities that make prayer necessary and effective as a means of grace and suffering. And that's what we're going to look at today. That's how we're going to organize our thoughts Two qualities that make prayer necessary and effective in the midst of our suffering. Or maybe if you want to look at it a different way, this passage is going to show us why we must prioritize prayer when we are suffering. And we find the first quality or the reason to prioritize prayer in verses 52 through 57. Verses 52 through 57 describe what we might call the provenness of prayer. The provenness. It's proven. You see, in these verses, the prophet wants us to see that prayer has a track record of being necessary and effective for God's people. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you say, "There's nothing I could do except pray, Well, then just count yourself in good company with every other saint who's gone before you. There's never been a faithful sufferer who's found it unnecessary to pray. It's proven to be necessary. It's also proven to be effective. There's no true faithful sufferer who goes through their suffering, praying to the Lord and says, you know, that prayer didn't really do much for me. In other words, in these verses, we see that we must prioritize prayer because it is a proven spiritual resource for faithful sufferers. And and, and notice how prayer has already proven to be necessary in the life of faithful sufferers in the past prophet brings this out even in verse 52 he says i have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause and here the prophet is is describing something of the 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 kind of suffering that was going on in his day and even the kind of suffering that he had experienced It, it was as if he was being stalked by a hunter He wasn't a bird of prey. He was a bird being hunted. Except, at least when you're going to hunt for a bird, there's a purpose behind it. This entrapment, this hunting was absolutely senseless. It was without cause, he says. And and the prophet Jeremiah certainly experienced this kind of suffering in his own life, even from his own people. Jeremiah chapter 37, we read something of this entrapment, this hunting that he experienced. It says in Jeremiah 37 verse 11 that now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, so this was before the siege, before the the city was conquered, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among his people. When he was at the Benjamin gate a sentry there named Irajah the son of Shelemiah son of Hanaliah seized Jeremiah the prophet saying you are deserting to the Chaldeans. You see what's going on? Jeremiah is just making a business trip. But now all of a sudden, these guys, and this is the prophet who's been saying, look, we just need to surrender. We need to submit to our discipline. We need to just do what the Lord says. Now all of a sudden, this sentry, no doubt an ancient world Barney Fife, grabs him and says, you're discerned. Jeremiah said, it is a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Erijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials and the officials were enraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary for it had been made a prison. When when Jeremiah wrote these words about I was like a bird being hunted without cause, he he knew at at its a deep their deepest level what that felt like. And by the way, this is what the people felt like too when the Babylonians came and and destroyed the city. Chapter 4, verse 18, it says, They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heaven. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. It wasn't just Jeremiah that experienced this. There's was all the people of God experienced this. And by the way, when you read through the Scriptures, especially the Psalms, this kind of language is not unusual. It's not unusual for the people of God to be treated in this way, to feel like they're being pursued and persecuted without cause. And by the way, as, as the prophet continues setting the stage for this exemplary prayer, in verse 53, he escalates it even further. Not only did they hunt him down, but then it says in verse 53, they flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Now the pit here is talking about a cistern or a well. And actually, uh, in the original Hebrew, stones is singular. It's not plural stones, it's singular stone. So really, what... What the prophet is describing is that they threw him in a well and then put a large stone lid over the top of it. I mean, this is a grim picture. He's encased in an underground reservoir with the lid shut on it. And of course, again, in this, Jeremiah is drawing off his own experience, isn't he? When his own people threw him into the cistern in Jeremiah chapter 38, he got out of prison. The king says, look, I want you to shoot straight with me. You tell me what the Lord says. And Jeremiah did. The Lord said, just submit to the Chaldeans. Submit to the Babylonian army. Take your discipline and it will be easier for you. And the king said, okay, you can't tell anyone that. And then they threw him in a cistern to silence him. It says in Jeremiah chapter Thirty-eight, verse six, it says, "So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud, left for dead. I mean, so so when Jeremiah is describing this this kind of suffering that necessitates prayer, he did so in a very personal way. He understood." He understood from his own experience the kind of suffering that leads you to nowhere else but prayer. In fact, verse 54 adds an even extra element to this picture of suffering that actually goes beyond even what Jeremiah experienced. Verse 54, the prophet, again, this is kind of an exemplary prayer, exemplary situation. He says, water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. Now this is where the prophet goes even even beyond what he experienced because we just read in Jeremiah 38 that the cistern he was thrown in was essentially dry. Because of the siege, there was no water coming into the city. This cistern uh, likely it was dry for that reason. It was just mud. But here the prophet paints a picture of peril that goes beyond even what he experienced. Now he's stuck in the mud and the water is rising up above his head. And of course, this is all figurative language to to signify the mounting affliction and and the insurmountable suffering that the people were experiencing. In fact, from a human perspective, there, there was only one conclusion in the face of this kind of suffering. I am lost. Literally, I am cut off. The idea is, All the blessings of God's covenant, I'm cut off from it. I'm a dead man. In other words, the Lord stripped everything away so that the only thing that he had left in this very moment was the faith to pray to the Lord. Notice verse 55. Here's the point. Here's where we're getting to. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. That's the point. These circumstances left him with no other choice but to cry out to the Lord. By the way, just as a side note, he was stripped of everything but the faith necessary to call on the Lord. And even that was wavering because he said, I am lost. there's a battle going on here. I'm cut off from the Lord. He's not going to help me. No, I got to cry out to the Lord. There's that battle for faith going on in his life. And this is instructive for us on a number of levels, but maybe most importantly is this. When you're not in the depths of the pit, you better be strengthening your faith. Because when you get into the depths of the pit, you're going to need it. If you allow your faith to become anemic because you're not uh, uh, feeding it with truth and you're not actively submitting yourself to the Lord, if you're not bolstering your faith, if you're allowing it to grow weak and sickly, then in that moment when you need it the most, in that moment of suffering, when you need to call out to the Lord in faith, it's going to be much harder than it needs to be. It's so important that we fight for faith Not just in the moments of suffering like this, but in preparation for that. We need to constantly be striving for a stronger faith. This passage also reminds us that the deepest times of suffering are the most important times to call out to the Lord in prayer. I mean, this was certainly Jeremiah's experience, but more than that, it's true for all of God's people. It's so easy to become so spiritually distracted and disoriented in the midst of our suffering that we neglect prayer. And what this passage reminds us is that a significant aspect of suffering in our life is that God allows it to happen to drive us to deeper prayer. Friend, stop striving, stop scheming, stop doubting in the midst of your suffering in the midst of your suffering stop and pray it's proven necessary for faithful sufferers throughout the history of the world in fact the most faithful sufferer who's ever walked the face of this earth in his moment of deepest sorrow and pain what 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 did he do when christ was suffering, knowing that he was about to go to the cross to die in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He stopped to pray. When affliction pursues, when, when affliction and suffering seems to confine, when our circumstances seem threatening at every level, that is when we most need to pray prayer has always proven to be necessary if we want to be faithful sufferers but but notice in verses 56 and 57 the prophet moves on from describing the kind of suffering that necessitates prayer and begins to describe the proven grace of god that makes prayer effective so so it's a given when you suffer you need prayer that's a given What's also a given is that when you go to the Lord in prayer, He will pour out His grace into your life. Verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. Verse 56, you heard my plea. And what was that plea? The the plea was, do not close your ear to my cry for help. The prophet cried this out and the Lord heard him. And and the point is that the Lord heard this prayer with the intention of acting upon the request. God didn't just hear it, but but God heard it with an inclination to help. God heard it not just with a hearing ear, but with a gracious ear. And by the way, this was particularly good news. It's a reminder that the discipline that God's people received was temporary. Back in chapter, or excuse me, verse 44 of chapter 3, the prophet said, you have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Well, now the prophet is praying to the Lord. And what happens to that prayer? It passes through. The, The discipline was temporary. You know, the people had prayed, Lord, get us out of this mess. Defeat the Chaldeans so that we don't have to be a conquered people. Those prayers were against the will of the Lord, so they did not go through. But now that the prophet is trying to faithfully endure this suffering, and he cries out to the Lord and says, Don't close your ears to me. Don't cut off your grace from me. Now that prayer goes through. In other words, that prayer is answered in the affirmative by God. Friend, God has proven himself to be gracious to hear our prayers in the times of greatest trouble and in times when we don't deserve it. I mean, think about what's going on here. Jeremiah is saying, this is the time of your greatest need. What do you need to do? You need to pray to the Lord and he'll hear you. But think also, this was not only their time of greatest need, but it was their time of greatest guilt. Think of the sins of the people that we have learned about in our study of the book of Lamentations. They did not deserve to be heard by God. What is this? It's the proven grace of God when you are in the midst of trouble, even when it's a trouble of your own making, even when the suffering that you're enduring is because of the sin in your life, you can confidently and humbly go to the Lord in prayer and stand on the promise of His grace towards you. What a kind gift that is, isn't it? And this is a proven commodity. As I was reading through this, I was reminded of a number of Missionary biographies that I've read, one in particular, uh, the account of John G. Patton, missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, a man who went to an island where the previous missionaries had been killed and eaten by its inhabitants. He went there and took his family. Frequently, he was chased, just like we read about uh, in Lamentations chapter 3. At times, he was incarcerated. At times, his house was surrounded. Many times, the locals would stick a loaded gun in his face. Listen to what John G. Patton said in his own autobiography about times like this. He says, Often have I seized the pointed barrel, that's a gun, and directed it upwards, or pleading with my assailant, uncapped his musket in the struggle. At other times, nothing could be said, nothing done, but stand still in silent prayer, asking the Lord to protect us or to prepare us for going home to his glory. He fulfilled his own promise. I will not fail thee or forsake thee. The Lord answered those prayers. The Lord protected his servant. The Lord poured out his grace in the life of his servant. That's what God does. In fact, notice what it says in verse 57. Not only did you hear this prayer, Lord, but you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Now notice the kind of grace that God's people can expect when they cry out to the Lord in desperate prayer. You can expect this grace in your life. It's a promise from the Lord. He does not revoke his promises. There's no renegotiating. His promise is that if you will come to him in humble faith, through prayer, he will pour out his grace in your life. And notice the kind of grace that you can expect. Or maybe notice the kind of grace you shouldn't expect first. Notice that God didn't answer this prayer by immediately providing relief to the faithful sufferer. You came near when I called you. Came near to where? You came near to the depths of the pit where I still was. prophet didn't say, you know what? It finally dawned on me I should pray. And I prayed and all of a sudden I'm flying out of this pit and the stone's flying off and I'm fine. That's not what he said. God didn't answer the prayer by providing immediate relief. Instead, God answered the prayer with his gracious presence and sustaining promises. That's what we can expect. Friend, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, no matter what kind of suffering you go through, prayer is a reminder that God is with you. And when God is with you, his grace is with you. It may not provide immediate physical relief to whatever your trial is, but it provides spiritual strength so that you can endure Remember the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul had the thorn on the side. Three times he prayed, Lord, take it away. The Lord finally said, I'm not. Enough. My grace is sufficient for you. He allowed, whatever that thorn was, he allowed it to stay in Paul's life to keep Paul humble. But he promised Paul, my grace is going to go with you every step of the way. I'll be with you. That's the kind of answer that we can expect. By the way, notice also God didn't answer the prayer, this prayer by providing some kind of new and specific revelation for His circumstances. In other words, He didn't get answers. The prophet didn't say, why is this happening? And then God said, okay, let me, let me clue you in. It's happening because of this, 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 and this, and this. What, what does God say? Fear not. Fear not. He didn't say, okay, let me explain to you why these people threw you in a pit. Or let me explain to you why this is happening or this is happening. No, instead, God just says, let me reaffirm my promises to you. Fear not. Which, by the way, in all likelihood, uh, the prophet didn't receive a new revelation from God. This is a quotation from other scripture passages. In all likelihood, it was the truth of God's word that God brought back to his mind. The previous promises of Scripture that brought, God brought to mind in the prof, midst of the prophet's suffering. God answered the prayer by reaffirming previously revealed truth in order to strengthen his faith. And by the way, that talk about a moment of faith. How many times we pray, God, I'm in these circumstances. I got this trial. I got this going on. I, I'm not going to be able to pay this bill. This person hates my guts. I, I might get fired because of this. This person might do this. The anxieties of life are just crushing our hearts. What we want to hear is, okay, here's where this money is going to come from. Here's how this boss is going to get transferred. And you're going to get a new boss who's a Christian. And then here's how this person is going to be reconciled. To you. That's what we want to hear. But in the midst of that, imagine then hearing, fear not. What do you mean, fear not? I just told you all the reasons that I have to be afraid. What's the answer? Fear not. Why not? Because we can trust in the Lord. We can trust in the Lord. Because he has come near to us and he has promised his grace to us. See, in all of this we're reminded of the provenness of prayer. It's proven to be a necessary lifeline for faithful sufferers throughout all generations. And it's been proven to be effective because God has designed it as a means of grace to strengthen us in the midst of suffering. Prayer is a proven commodity. You get in the midst of your suffering, you get in the midst of life's anxieties, stop trying to come up with a new strategy and go to the Lord in prayer. It's proven. Notice also there's a second quality that makes prayer necessary and effective as a means of grace and suffering. And this quality is found in verses 58 through 66. These verses describe what we might call the power of prayer in suffering. The power. We've seen the provenness. It works. Now we see something of the power behind it, why it works. See, these verses remind us that even if it's not in our timing and even if it's not according to our plan, God uses our prayers for his glory and our good. Let me say that again. Even if it's not according to our wisdom, even if it's not according to our timing, even if it's not according to our plan, God always uses faithful prayer for his glory and our good. You so see, we've seen in the previous verses that God will use prayer as a sustaining grace in our life. But, but we see in these verses that he also uses prayer as a means to accomplish his purposes. What an amazing thing that is, isn't it? God has, and we don't know exactly how all this works because God hasn't revealed the mechanics of it to, uh, of it to us. But we know that he does use our prayer to accomplish his purposes. So so when we pray, we know that when we pray according to the will of the Lord, there is divine power in that. That God is using our prayers to accomplish His purposes and allowing us to be a part of it. In other words, you should prioritize prayer when you are suffering because God will powerfully use your prayers. He will. It may not be the way you thought. Or wanted, but God will powerfully use your prayers, even in the midst of suffering. And the prophet was absolutely confident of this. And he was confident in this in part because of God's previous faithful action. Notice in verses 58 really through 61, all the verbs are past tense. You have done this. You have done this in the past. You have done this. The prophet is looking back at all that the Lord had faithfully done and all the previous answers to prayer and he's basing his confidence on that previous action. Notice verse 58. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. Literally, cause is plural. You have taken up my causes. In other words, every time a situation has come up, you've been right there to intercede for me. We talked about these verses a bit a few weeks ago. Then it's also the prophet says, you have redeemed my life. It's not just that you took up my cause and interceded for me. You were my advocate. But more than just being an advocate, you were an effective advocate because you redeemed me. You redeemed my very life. I thought I was lost, cut off from covenant grace and a dead man, but you redeemed me. You paid the price necessary for my redemption. Additionally, the prophet says, you have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. Verse 61, you have heard their taunts, all their plots against me. The prophet's saying, you've seen all of this. I know you've seen it. And by the way, if God is faithful to take up the cause of his people and redeem them, and he is a faithful judge who omnisciently seeds Uh, sees the deeds of the wicked then who better to go talk to in the midst of persecution he's on your side and he sees every injustice ever perpetrated against you who better to go speak to about your circumstances god has proven himself to, to be somebody that you want to pray to that's the point. God's past faithfulness and answer to prayer, it should cause us to trust in his power through prayer. And by the way, just as an aside, a reminder of some ground we already covered a few weeks back, but in these verses, we find a beautiful picture of the character of God that we also see in the gospel. He takes up our cause He redeems our life. He's the perfect judge. I mean, these are all the attributes of God that we see in the person of Christ Jesus and in the work of the gospel. He's our high priest who who intercedes for His people. He redeemed our life through His death on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could have life and be right with God. And He's the perfect judge who will return and make all things right. That's the character of God. That's who Christ is. And that's who we need to pray to in the midst of our suffering. And and when we pray, not only can we be confident about the past actions and the character of God already displayed, but we can be confident in the future power of God to use our prayers. Notice, The prophet changes his orientation from past and looking back to now moving forward, present and future. Verse 62, the lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. Here the prophet is speaking on behalf of all of God's people And pointing out that that the enemies of God's people they had vengeance in their hearts, and they had malice in their plots towards God's people, they they made it their work from morning until night to oppress the people of God. Notice the confidence, though, of verse sixty-four. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the works of their hands. The prophet knows that God will judge them according to their works. Now, the implications for this are manifold. One is, for the prophet in this circumstance, he was able to let go of these circumstances because he trusted the Lord to take care of it that person who mistreats you and will not respond to a rebuke, that that, that the person who oppresses you and will not uh, uh, respond to any kind of uh, 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 reasoning. You can't change that person. You can't deal with that person. Vengeance is not yours, but ultimately you can trust and know, you know what? The Lord is gonna work all these things out. All those injustices that you say, that was not fair. You think God doesn't see them? Boy, in, in a world that denies God, there sure is a lot of talk about injustice. If there is no God, who determines what justice is? And if there is no God, who's ever going to sort it all out? And of course, the point is that there is a God, and he's the one who's determined what justice is. And ultimately, no human being on this earth now is going to sort it all out. It's going to be God who comes back and judges all men. The prophet was confident of that. By the way, this is the fate of every person who rejects Christ. The holy God will judge you and repay you according to every work you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every sin you've ever committed. The prophet knew this. The prophet also knew that he was going to judge these wicked people. He said, You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. This is Romans 1 kind of language. God hands someone over to their sins. Their hearts are hardened, petrified against the truth of God. The prophet knew what was coming. Verse 66, You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Ultimately, ultimately God was going to judge the people. the people who committed these horrible crimes against Israel. You say, well, what's the prophet really praying for here? I mean, it seems like these are just statements about what God's going to do. Well, it is, because the prophet knows what God's going to do. And he knows that by praying along with God's will, he's going to be used in part to accomplish that. And what he's praying for is really, if you notice, what he's praying for is a second exodus. Remember the people ended up in captivity in Egypt? And what did God do when the people were delivered from Egypt? There was the exodus. God redeemed the people out of their exile and brought them back into the land. Remember, God saw and heard the cries of the people of Israel. Remember also that the Lord... Said, when you leave, you're gonna plunder the people. All those wages they didn't give you, you're gonna get them. I'm gonna repay them according to what they've done. Remember also Pharaoh and the plagues? God said what? I'm gonna harden his heart. The word dullness of heart mirror, same language, hardness of heart. That's what the prophet's praying for. Prophet's praying confidently for another Exodus. And he's able to pray confidently for this, knowing the Lord will answer because he understands who God is and understands what God has done. Doesn't know the timing of it. Doesn't know how it's all going to work out. But he knows what God has promised and he knows who God is. And friend, this same kind of confident praying is available to us. We can know that God will use our prayers according to his will, according to his wisdom, and according to his timing. In this exemplary prayer, the prophet is confident that God can and will powerfully use his prayer. I've heard it said before, you know, prayer, the value of prayer is that prayer changes you. Prayer doesn't change anything but you. Well, prayer definitely changes us. It's a means of grace that strengthens our faith. But the scriptures teach that God uses our prayers to accomplish much, not nothing. I'm always reminded of the prayer of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. Remember God, uh, Abraham's such a man of God that, that God included Abraham in on his plans to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? And remember that the prayer of Abraham in Genesis 18 is incredible. He's interceding for the people. Okay, if you find 50 righteous... You're a righteous God. You can't sweep 50 righteous up with with all those wicked people. You can't do that. God says, you're right. So Abraham says, okay, look, I'm just your humble servant, but, but, and he keeps going lower and lower until he gets down to 10, right? If there are 10 righteous, will you deliver the city? It's an incredible prayer that we can gather much from, but also it was an effective prayer. You say, wait a minute. I know my Bible. I know that there were not 10 people in the city. And I know what happened to the cities of the valley. I know what happened to Sodom. It was destroyed by God. It was destroyed by God, but do you remember how God saved Lot out of the midst of the overthrow? Abraham's prayer was excellent. It just didn't go far enough. He should have prayed for the one righteous man. But even even despite that insufficiency in Abraham's part, God still used the prayer. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, it says, So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which, the, in which Lot had lived. God remembered Abraham. Specifically, he remembered Abraham's prayer. God used, in his perfect and sovereign ways, he used the prayer of Abraham to protect Lot. What's the point in all this? The point in all this is that God powerfully uses prayer. The prophet knew that when he prayed for deliverance. How... How are the, the conquered people ever going to come back to the land and be delivered from the, the most powerful nation of the world? That didn't happen. All those other countries that tried to face the Babylonians and lost, they're lost to history. They're gone. They're decimated. They don't exist anymore. Israel, however, still does. Israel was brought back to the land. Why? Well, it was God's sovereign grace, but it was also God sovereignly and graciously using the prayers of his people. Friend, don't you forget, prayer is powerful because God is powerful. Don Whitney in his book, which was our book of the month but is now sold out on prayer. If you haven't gotten that yet, you can find a copy on your own or borrow it from somebody who got one. It's a very good book on prayer. But Don Whitney, in his book on prayer, he records this about George Mueller. Great man of prayer, ran an orphanage. And it says that Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayers in his journals. Think about that for a second. He had recorded in his prayer journals 50,000 specific answers to prayer. There are things in there like We have no breakfast for the children this morning. Lord, we need you to provide. And all of a sudden, the the milkman breaks down in front of the gates and says, you know what? The milk's just going to go bad. Here, you can have it. I can't deliver it. And then right after that, the baker comes and brings a bunch of bread for the children. There are over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals. I'm quoting... 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. Whitney goes on to say, think of it. That's 500 definite answers to prayer each year, more than one per day, every single day for 60 years. That's a lot of prayer, isn't it? And that's a lot of answer to prayer. And you say, man, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Well, have you prayed 500 prayers a year? Prayer is a powerful resource, especially in suffering. Because the God who answers our prayers is powerful. Think about what the prophet's praying for. Lord, I want you to overthrow the most powerful nation in the world, and we're subjugated, defeated, we have no army, and you're going to free us and bring us back to the land for that. And all this, the underlying principle is that prayer is necessary and effective in every situation, especially in suffering. If you are struggling to get motivated to pray, you need to remind yourself of these two qualities. Prayer is proven. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is proven to be necessary for suffering saints to survive. And it's proven effective as a means of grace. Additionally, prayer comes with the firm hope that God hears us and will powerful, powerfully use our prayers to accomplish His will. Doesn't that give you confidence in the power of prayer? We need prayer all the time. but Especially in the midst of suffering. Let me tell you why. We need prayer because we need God. You see, to say that we need prayer in the midst of suffering is just another way of saying we need God's help in suffering. And prayer is the most effective way to express that need and receive the help that comes with it. Will we pray with me? Lord, we thank you for these reminders of truth about prayer. Lord, there certainly is no area of our Christian life that reveals our faith or lack thereof more acutely than our prayer lives. Lord, are we? faith often results in weak prayers or neglected prayer. So we pray that You would strengthen our faith even through these truths today so that we can be a church that prays even in the midst of our suffering. And Lord, we thank You for this kind grace. It's so easy to think of prayer as something that we have to do, as a to-do list item to check off, as something to feel guilty about. But in reality, it is a great privilege to speak to you to receive your grace and be used in the accomplishment of your will. So help us to rightly view prayer so that we can rightly participate in prayer. And of course, we pray all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.